I guess I would call myself a recovering techno-utopian. I was a lot more techno-utopian 10 years ago. Hello and welcome to Terrifying Robot Dog. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about how technology is changing the way we interact with the world. This week, we talk about everything that's happened since the last show. Please stay tuned. Terrifying Robot Dog is next. Welcome back. Yes. Um, I forgot words. I've forgotten how to do this. I know. We gotta. It, it's always like that after the yeah. hiatus. Yeah. Technically, our first episode back was last week, but we actually recorded that back at the end of April. Right. Yes. Sort of a time, sort of a time travel feel to it. <laughs> yeah. Wibbly wobbly. Exactly. Well, so so we probably said welcome back in the other one, like predictively. Yeah. But this is the this is the actual real welcome back. Yes. We mean it this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so where do we even begin? So many, so many things have happened. But I suppose since last week was a book episode, and since last night at 4.30 in the morning, I finished Babylon's Ashes. The So you've gone from books one all the way through book six in, in this time we've been off? Yeah, yeah. I didn't get a lot of sleep. <laughs> it's so good, you can't stop. Yes. So, so your your impressions on the series as a whole? It's it's the best ever. I mean, it's up there with in terms of in terms of richness of the richness and depth of the story and the characters. It's up there with Harry Potter, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, sci-fi, obviously, but it is so great. It, like when they, they when they switch to characters that I don't like, I can barely stay on the chapter. <laughs> Because it's so, I'm having such a visceral reaction to it, you know, like like bad guy characters or conflicted yeah. people. I'm just like, oh, I want this to be over. <laughs> it's just so good, and they managed to reinvent. You know, it's like just when you think it's going to be more of the same, they throw a monkey wrench in there and just changes the whole the whole landscape. It's just so great, good stuff. Yeah, and I believe book seven will be out at some point this summer. I think I saw December. Oh, okay. Yeah. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. I had read that they were pushing for a summer release, but that was a while ago that I read it, so it may have been pushed back. Yes. There's something, you know, so so finally, that I, since I got to the end of the published series, I haven't read the novellas, but I got to the end of the mm-hmm. published series, I could finally go down like a, a rabbit hole, internet rabbit hole of like, I, I just wanted to see how everything was spelled because I've been listening to all the books. <laughs> right. Like, you know, how do you spell Michio Pa? <laughs> you know? So yeah. finally, uh, I sort of went through and just kind of, I probably finished the book earlier than 4.30 or whatever I said, but then I was, I was Wikipedia-ing it for a while. And I don't know, it's just so good. Uh, but I think I saw, I think I saw that something is coming out soon but it's not the next book it's i think it's another novella or like a there's like a i think a comic book or a, a graphic novel graphic novel deal? i think they're called okay. yeah so i think something's coming out in the very near future because i remember thinking there wasn't much time to wait and uh mm. and and i, I would have sworn that it was a fall or winter release for the actual book okay it'll probably be sooner than the next dresden novel <laughs> Probably so. I, I I get the feeling he's tired of writing Dresden. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's his book? Book twenty, twenty five. Uh, no, this will be I think book seventeen. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, so I, I believe his original plan for Dresden was 20 books and then a trilogy to end it all. Mm. Yeah, he, he sounds like he needs to recharge his batteries on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like he definitely has a plan for how he wants to end it and and a, and, and goals to, to get to that point. But That's a good example of a, another book where I am similarly attached to the characters. It's very, obviously, it's crazy different, but uh, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of books, I read the first chapter of Andy Weir's upcoming new novel last night interesting is in the in the same vein as andy where's the it, martian right um andy where's yep. the martian yes yep. it's it's sci-fi mm-hmm. uh it's called the title of the book is artemis artemis mm-hmm. which is a moon base cool and my my first impressions from it are that it's going to be more more character story driven and less hardcore science like mm-hmm. probably more more typically what you think when you think science fiction because the Martian was very hard, was very hard sci-fi. It was a lot of a lot of technical and re- real physics and math and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and this seems like it's going to be a lot less of that. And I mean, to be fair, the Martian did not have a huge amount of plot or character development. <laughs> yeah, it was basically <laughs> castaway on Mars. Yeah, yeah, and and that's not a knock against the book. I I loved the book for all the things that it was, mm-hmm. but in in terms of a a, a story driven novel and and depth of plot and character development that sort of stuff, it it didn't have a lot of those. Right. I didn't feel like it was missing from that particular book, but they weren't there. And I feel like this is gonna gonna shift more toward that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm 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 hopeful he can pull it off. I I hope it doesn't end up like a Ready Player One slash Armada thing. Yeah. But, <laughs> Yeah, Armada. Didn't I just read this? <laughs> yeah, either one of those books would have been fine on their own, but both of them together were just yeah, like two sides of the same coin. Yeah, you couldn't do you couldn't do like The Martian Part Two, The Moon. Right. You know. Right. You can't. You can't. So. <laughs> it would be so boring. Yeah, I mean, he's got to he's got to pull out something different. Yeah, this time he grows onions. It's totally different. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that would be so much worse than eating oh, potatoes. Big time. Oh. The stench. So. Yeah, there's lots of lots of good stuff though. Lots of good books. I'm I I as a kid, junior high and younger even, I was just was addicted to sci-fi. I read all the early Star Trek novels over and over, wore them out, mm-hmm. just super into sci-fi and uh kind of, you know, Star Wars and all that, but I never I, I wouldn't I can't think of I didn't really stick with it, you know. I haven't been like a sci-fi fan all along, but I'm it's coming on yeah. strong now. I'm having a revival yeah well we're getting we're getting some good stuff so mm-hmm. uh cool so let me see what what else what else is going on you started catch to 5k i started catch to 5k i finished the first week nice i need to start the second week this evening mm. so the reason that that's uh i mean that's interesting on its own but it's got a strange tie-in <laughs> yes which is that this catch to 5k program which you know, I could probably tell from the name is for people who are not big runners to sort of get into it a little bit and be a little less threatened by the whole, you know, pain of the thing. It was created by our mutual friend, Josh Clark, who is the founder of a design studio called Big Medium. And we actually met up last week at a presentation that I was facilitating and he was speaking at to a bunch of uh, big credit unions. And he talked about something that I think is super interesting and relevant which I guess I would kind of boil down to, uh, this is probably over overbearing sounding, but kind of like ethics in AI, but not like things we've talked about in the past where, you know, the, the stop button problem and 
you know, the, the sort of, you know, will the, the Skynet scenario where, where they rise up and destroy us, but it's much okay. more, much more practical garbage in, garbage out problem. There are a number of factors are coming together that are making AI machine learning and, and related fields like suddenly start working. Mm-hmm. And it's a combination of things. One thing is that there are new models that are, seem to be better. Uh, another thing is that there's just a massive amount of compute power, power available that wasn't really uh, as certainly as cheap before, perhaps not even available. And there are massive data sets available now that you've got companies like Google been around for like, how long has Google been around for? Oh, I don't know. 20 years? 20 years probably. Yeah. With those things, uh, you know, and, and oh, by the way, everybody's got a phone in their pocket, you know, a, a computing device on them. It's starting to, you know, actually bear fruit. So jumping around a little bit here, but during the break, there were both WWDC and Google I.O., and clearly machine learning is is high on the list of priorities for both companies. Uh, it has been for Google for a very long time. Apple appears to be trying to play catch up and differentiating themselves. I, I noticed that AI and VR were both something Apple is apparently deciding that they finally need to start getting into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we could get into the differences between their approaches, which I think are kind of interesting. But uh, the point is that... You know, a company like Google, they have massive amounts of data. Facebook has massive amounts of data. Amazon has massive amounts of data. And, you know, and there's just a, a wealth of knowledge and information available on the internet at large, just the web and everything else. So the issue that comes up is what's online isn't necessarily representative of reality or sort of the broader human experience. Mm-hmm. And I think probably the easiest way to kind of easiest most obvious example of that is newspapers or news sites that they don't you know there's not like tons of good news like all the the things that went right yesterday aren't listed there (laughs) right or i was gonna say facebook where people only show like the the happy moments (laughs) Mm -hmm. right like the carefully carefully curated photo of the muffins that they made you can't see the Mm -hmm. pile of laundry in the background right exactly so yeah, Instagram, same thing. It's like the data is super skewed. Yeah. And if you're, if you're training, you know, it's machine learning so wild. It's like you get this giant data set and you train the, I don't want to call it algorithm, the, the neural network. And then the, the trained network doesn't have all the data in it. It's not like researching the data when you ask it a question. It's just trained mm-hmm. and it, it's got a series of sort of weights whatever we don't have to get into that but the point is pass all this data through it and the data that you pass through it is super important <laughs> it's like it like creates the thing's personality or it creates <laughs> right. the thing's worldview your, your ai is looking at the world through rose-colored glasses you know <laughs> or or you know poo colored glasses right <laughs> so like if all if you know imagine an alien race comes down and and we're all gone and all they have to you kind of know or learn about the human civilization is like newspapers and Archie Bunker, <laughs> you know, or like ads. Advertisements, yeah. And the the extrapolations that you would make about what our obsessions or values were based on like yeah. mainstream advertising. Yeah, yeah. Ma- Main Street advertising and old VHS copies of Married with Children. <laughs> like, uh, according to these ads, everybody is <laughs> fat, flaccid, and uh, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. <laughs> fat, flaccid, and hungry. Yeah. So, okay. Well, there's a title. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, this is a major, uh, you know, this is a... 
I mean, it's a pretty big problem and, and it's not obvious how to do anything about it, you know, because it's not like, it's not like you can just say, oh, we'll backfill all the good news. Yeah. Yeah. Or give us, oh, hey, everybody, can you give us the other half of this data we've collected on you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. So, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it, he he showed a bunch of examples of it going horribly wrong in, mm-hmm. in, in both the AI space, but also in just design in general that were honestly uncomfortable to watch it was <laughs> it was uh you know because it's touched on racial stuff and mm-hmm. and you know like there was a do a youtube search dear listener for racist sink and there's a, a video of it, it's just a close-up of a sink like in an airport or something that you know you wave your hand under the nozzle right. and it like starts flowing and there's like a black dude holding his hand under it, the, uh, sorry, the soap dispenser. He's handed, holding his hand under the soap dispenser in the sink. Nothing comes out. He's like, Larry, come here. Larry comes over. Larry's white hand comes into the picture, poops out some, you know, soap. Oh, because his, his skin was not reflective his enough? His skin color wasn't working for it. Oh, wow. And, you know, there's another one that just was, I don't even want to bring it up. It's so uncomfortable, but it, but it's kind of, you kind of have to, cause that's the point, yeah. which was, um, I don't know what country it was. For some reason, I want to say it was Iceland, but it was a uh, passport. Somebody put in their passport application and it was rejected because the subject's eyes were closed, but the guy was just Asian. Mm. And it's like, that's not cool. You know, like who tested this? Right. Right. Was this ever reviewed by a human being? Right. And, and he, and Josh's quote, I thought was amazing. It's like, if you, you know, and he was bringing it back to like chat interfaces, voice interfaces. And if you, you know, let's say you've got a heavy accent or something like that. And you're trying to talk to she who shall not be named who's sitting next to me listening carefully. <laughs> yes. um, and, you know, when it just repeatedly comes back to you and says, I don't understand, I don't understand. It's like saying you don't matter. Right. You know, if you, if you don't have the right skin color to get the soap out of the machine, you don't matter. It's just over and over saying, you don't matter, you don't matter, you don't matter. We didn't test yeah, for you. It's, it's like it's it's like it's saying, I don't understand because your accent's so thick. Yeah. It's not just, I don't understand because I'm a computer. It's, I don't understand, and it's your fault. And it's your fault. So, you know, I, I, there's no, I, it's not an obvious solution. I think really the takeaway from his talk is he, he laid out a series of 10 points that were, it's kind of a list of how to be a good person, but they're, they're the same sorts of things that seem like they're going to be increasingly important for designers, people who are designing everything from soap dispensers to AI chatbots to perhaps be a little bit more thoughtful about who's going to be using this and, and, and testing with a representative group of your future users and not just like, you know, the six guys in your frat, (laughs) you know, and like, Oh, it works. We're done. We're done here. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, it was, it was painful. Some there was a there were more examples too. I mean, he had a bunch of them. There were some really really horrible ones. Um, people probably remember the the Microsoft chatbot, the Twitter bot yes. that they released. Yes, yeah, we we did an episode on it, I believe. Yeah, and you know, we don't have to go into it again, but it's it was a great example of how you know in twenty four hours, you know, I think people were trolling it on purpose, but but that doesn't change the fact that it happened. Right. There's no. I think the the thing that it illustrates is there's no norm, you know, like what's the norm? How do you, it comes down to human judgment and like, or like society standards and, and cultural norms. And it's like, what, how Mm -hmm. do you, how do you train that in when there's no data set that represents it? Right. That's a, that's a really good question. That's really, that's a hard one to answer. If your, if your data going in is skewed, then Mm. what, what can you do? 
Right. It's it's like someone who who grows up in a area where they're only exposed to one political attitude or one culture or it, it, mm. <laughs> you know. Mm. Yeah. He had a bunch of examples of like Google type ahead that were just it just floor you. You know, like you know how it you like it immediately starts giving you results before you're even mm-hmm. done typing. Yeah, the the Google the suggestions and Google search type thing. Right. And they suggest things that are not he had a bunch of examples that were suggesting things that were probably not at all what you were searching for, but evidently a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And it gives you this, there's something that happens where all of a sudden they're not just, they're not just a card catalog because the user interface is by trying to be helpful and predictive, it's pushing you in a direction. It's guessing something. And those choices are, can go horribly wrong. You know, like, uh, I don't even, I don't even want to say what they were. That's, right. They're that bad. Yeah. And, you know, you are, are, I don't even, I can't even bring myself to say it. Is, is ethnic group and then like horrible suggestions. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I can see why you can see how that happened. Yeah. I can, I can see how it happened, but. Because there's so many, there's a bunch of people who I consider to be total <laughs> cl- clogging up the internet with a bunch of propaganda that's just horrible pro- propaganda. Right, but at the same time, the fact that the computer doesn't know—oh, these are these are morally bankrupt suggestions. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't suggest them to people. <laughs> right, and how do you? Who does that? Who makes right. the judgment? It's like when we when we were talking about um, what was it? Uh, the Bob books book mm-hmm. that we read. What was it? What was that title? We are Bob. We are Bob. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the two different kinds. There's sort of a dumb AI that was just like a wrench that would walk around. And there was a, and you had to give it tasks and, or goals. And, and there was the smart AI that was based on a literal human that existed in their consciousness. And, and the, the genius of that model is that if you, if the human passed through like psych exams in a way that was deemed acceptable by some arbitrary person, again, mm-hmm. then it was likely that their moral compass would be sufficient to not rise up and destroy the earth. You know, but right. some of those human, but but not all of them were that way because some of them were from a culture that was more warlike than others. Yeah, and and some of them were chosen. Some of them were were chosen to specifically not be that way. They the people who were in charge of making these decisions about who would who would be the basis for the AI, they had agendas of their own. Mm-hmm. So this gets back to what I think the real, and we've talked about this before, the the real fear that somebody like Elon Musk has isn't that, you know, Terminator's going to show up. Right. You know, but that the AI is going to be super opinionated based on its creators in a way that is inadvertently or on purpose skewed in their favor. You know, so like the potential... Mm -hmm. Um, kind of social construct. It depends on what it's for, of course, but you could see a very polarizing effect if these, if this sorts of thing, be, if these sorts of things become and, uh, become super popular, which it appears that everybody's pushing in that direction. Who knows if that will it will work? But it's like uh, it seems like an intractable design problem. You know, like where do you get the non skewed data? Who's yeah. the who's the arbiter of taste that gets to, you know, like just pick somebody like Johnny Ive is the one who gets to decide. Uh, this, uh, we need more chamfered edges. I just started to say you'll be getting ads for everything. Every ad you see will have chamfered, chamfered edges. edges. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, it is going to affect, you know, this is, this kind of stinks to say it, 
but it is going to affect things like advertising. And as much as we don't want to be influenced by things like advertising, many people are because that's the point of it. <laughs> yeah, it does the, work. The point of advertising is to influence you to, to buy something. And if it didn't work, it, it, it wouldn't be a thing that existed. Yeah, so. it wouldn't be a trillion dollar industry. <laughs> right. So, so this is going to shape. It's going to shape not just the AI's perspective of things, but over time the AI is going to shape ours. And it's going to be just this sort of self-fulfilling feedback loop. Yeah. Yep. And so it's it's like yellow journalism, but baked into the air, mm-hmm. you know, like depending on how prevalent these sorts of interfaces are. Yeah. What what ads you see, what search suggestions come up, what recommendations for restaurants when you happen to walk into a place, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and you can even tell, I was just about to say, well, you know, maybe Facebook is a little bit has a little bit of a, an advantage there because maybe the recommendations you get will be, you know, based on friends and people whose opinion you actually trust. And then I'm like, well, yeah, but how many of my friends that I'm friends with on Facebook have I ever even met in person? Like, how do I even know if they're real? Yeah, I know they are, but how do I know? Yeah, and how many people that I have on Facebook end up, like, they share stuff. A lot of the stuff they share is stuff they disagree with just so they can say, I don't agree with this. Yes, that's another issue. Like, is the computer going to pick up on the fact that the reason they're sharing is because they don't agree? Or is it just going to say, oh, these people share a lot of racial hatred stuff. This must be what. Or pictures of abused dogs because they're because they're trying yeah. to get donations for animal shelters. It's like, oh, this right. person's really into abused dogs. Right. Like, no. <laughs> no. Polar opposite. P.S. Please stop sharing those photos in my stream. Thank you. Yes, please. It's just, it's, it's, it's going to, just like everything else, it's going to play out and be like painful and horrible. But I, I, I guess I would call myself a recovering techno-utopian. I was a lot more techno-utopian <laughs> 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. 10 or 15 years ago, I was like, oh, you know, sort of the James Holden approach where it's like, oh, if everybody's got the tools, most people most people are great. Yes, there are bad actors. There are bad apples. But most people are good. Most people are nice. And most people do the right thing. And if you just give them the tools and they, you know, understand the context and they understand they have the information that they need to do their thing, they'll just go do their thing. But, you know, the older I get, I feel like that mm-hmm. it's... Uh, a naive position. I still f- am an optimistic. I'm still optimistic in that way. Yeah, but, but it's a lot. Yeah, the bad apples sure get a lot of press. So if I like, I still, I still believe that in general, people are genuinely good. There's a lot more good people out there than there are uh, ungood people. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said, it's hard to get them that good information and that correct information, that correct content, context, and the correct understanding. Just like you said, because the bad apples are are so loud and, and so prevalent. I mean, how do we do this now? We do this with laws and judicial judicial system. And is it like, does Selling that become, Twitter? yeah. Does that become part of the design process? You know, like, uh, like the FDA, like an AI has to go through a, a psych exam before it's released. <laughs> I, I mean, that's not that crazy. It's not. It's, we saw some, we saw some demos that make me feel like we're pretty far from there still at this at this get together that we were at with um, some of the things that were announced at specifically Google, well actually Google I/O and WWDC. You follow these more closely than than I did. I believe I might have been on vacation during at least one of them. Yeah, I mean they were they were good. I mean it wasn't like well let's see a little, I'll just rather than editorialize that WWDC they did mention that they're releasing something called Core ML, which is a machine learning API that they, it looks like they 
want people to use locally on advice to get there. They, they seem to be differentiating themselves from all the other players in that they'll be the private one. They'll be the privacy one. Your data is safe because it never leaves the, it never leaves our device. So it's safe. Um, right, you know, that's not surprising coming from Apple. Right. So it's not floating around the internet. Um, but one wonders how effective can it be if it exactly. has such a small data set, but you know, that's the play they're making and they're, probably a decade behind Google anyway with this sort of thing. Yeah, it just hasn't been their focus. Right. And they're a hardware company. Yeah, it, it feels like they're doing it now because they feel like they have to to stay relevant. Right. They, it feels like when Microsoft was trying to get Windows Phone going, they just missed the boat, you know. And uh, Siri is a joke compared to, like, Google Assistant. Uh, anyway, uh, but the the... So far, the applications that have been built on top of machine learning slash AI are the ones that have been most impressive to me are the photo applications mm -hmm. and the, the sort of face recognition. So identification of, of what's in the picture and the kind of grouping, I guess it's the same thing, but, but still they're like grouping faces together, like unbelievably. So I installed Google photos on my iPhone and it, it takes a while to do that first import. I had probably like 5,000 photos on my phone, but immediately once they were in there, <laughs> I could search for a uh, uh, dog on the grass. Boom. It comes up or I could search for uh, Cooper at a birthday party. Boom. Shows up. It's unbelievable. Like all of a sudden, you know, this is, these are, these are photos that were just on my phone. They weren't in some web page with text around them or any kind of alt title, nothing. There's just right. raw image files from my phone. Um, you could use location data, of course, which is embedded in there, but you could say, you know, pictures from camp, uh, pictures at home, pictures of the kids at home. And it's, it's wild. You can have these sort of smart folders that just automatically pull all of the pictures of the kids. You know, you just tell it which ones are your kids and boom. Very, very impressive. And uh, I think it's the kind of thing that will just become very quickly. I think it'll become like, oh, well, why wouldn't it do that? Like, yeah, obviously there's a obviously there's a seal in that picture, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. This That that feels that feels like a, a, a use case for AI that's going to become just very normal and very commonplace pretty quickly. Mm hmm. And the other other big ones, uh, this is this was an Amazon announcement. I think we might have even talked about it before the break. Was uh, they released some machine learning APIs? One of them called Lex, which allows you to do natural language processing basically for free. You know, it's like this incredibly difficult problem to solve, but it's solved and you know more accurate than than humans at this point. <laughs> and yeah, just for free, boom. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about it because they called it Lex because it's what's in Alexa. Right. She said quietly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild, but so the, the applications that are the, where I was going with this was that the applications that are coming out that are based on this, you know, they're not Terminator style applications. We're talking about like grouping photos and understanding the meaning of a sentence. They're right. super, super specific. It's not like a general purpose AI. It's very specific use case. And you know, I suppose the 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 data could be, you know, I don't know, like people with accents and, or people that just speak a different language at all. Mm -hmm. You know, you can imagine bias sneaking in even to those applications where, you know, you, you do a search for dog and your daughter shows up. It's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> she does kind of look like a chihuahua. So I suppose that's fair. Anyway, so, okay, so what, are, what other announcements were there? Um, 
Like I, I actually, after the, after WWDC, I was so excited by the productivity op, um, uh, changes in the new iOS 11 that I, I am, I went out and bought the new iPad, the bigger, the 10 inch iPad pro. And I'm going to see if I can use it as my main machine. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah. What, what, what changes were made? I, I didn't follow this. Yep. They have, there's, um, multi windowing capabilities are mm. looking really good and being able to drag and drop content from one application window to another application window, uh, unified file system. There's just a, it's just, they, they did a lot of things that of course have existed on the desktop for years, but they pulled in just right. enough of them to kind of tip the scales in my personal opinion for the kind of things that I do. So I, I went and got the, you know, I got it with the pencil and the keyboard case and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got it yesterday. I was playing around with it last night. And I, you know, in a short period of time for doing, uh, doing the things I normally do, which is a lot of email, a lot of Slack chat, a lot of typing, basically keyboards, totally fine. You would hate it, I'm sure, but it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a keyboard snob. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's totally fine. And the pencil is amazing. If you care about yeah. that kind of an interaction model. Yeah, yeah. Kira, Kira has an iPad Pro. Words, uh, one the twelve inch iPad Pro with mm-hmm. the pencil and the and the um, keyboard cover. Yeah, they're. I mean, it's other than like podcasting and mm-hmm. coding. You know, like you know, I need private keys and a full text editor and all that stuff, pushing stuff around SSH right. and all that. You know, that's still that's still laptop stuff, but. I, I could, I think I could leave my laptop at the office and just have the iPad for out and about and around the house and, mm-hmm. you know, when I need to, we'll see. I've tried to do this before with a lesser device, a lesser a tablet, and it didn't end up working out because I found that it was like just as easy to just, eh, I'll just do it on my phone. Right. But, um, having the physical keyboard now, I think it's going to, well, we'll see, but it seems like a, it seems, it seems like a, seems like it might work this time. It's wild having a physical keyboard with predictive typing, which is something I'm not used to. <laughs> yeah, that's. Can you do like a tab autocomplete or? Does yeah. It, or, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's just it, it, the the screen, the stuff that's happening on the screen in the input field behaves the same way as it would without a physical keyboard. Right, so, with the virtual keyboard. Right, but there but there are other things that you can do that you can't do easily on the phone. Like you can use the arrow keys to make selections. Oh, what a dream. <laughs> and you can command tab to switch applications. There's just like a lot of things, but it's weird because there's no mount, there's no trackpad. Right. So you have to reach up to do, it's like you're doing this sort of dance with your hands. And I, I think I like it actually. I, I don't think I don't like it. We'll see. Yeah, that would, that would annoy me, but I'm, I'm the kind of person that would rather type on a keyboard that only has 61 keys as opposed to 108 or something. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you you wouldn't you this would not work for you, definitely not. But it's super fascinating. The other thing is, I like the uh, it's whatever. I mean, it's it, we'll see what happens. But um, the quality is extremely high. It's of it's kind of yeah. like what what you expect from Apple, but it seems like has been slipping in recent years. This is very very well done. They've yeah, na- I, nailed the use case. I was extremely impressed with the the just the, the hardware on Kira's iPad Pro when we got it. Just the form factor and and the design of it and everything. I was I was impressed with it. Mm-hmm. The the thing that I'm most excited, the possibility that I'm most excited about is that I I flip over into a new mode of creation. That there's this guy Stephen Stephen Sanofsky, who I think is at uh, Andreessen Horowitz now, but he's at Microsoft for years. I think he was on the Office team 
his whole thing with like, it, the, I, I agree with his shtick, which is that, yeah, it's hard to do a spreadsheet on a tablet or on a phone, but the thing that you're doing the spreadsheet for is different than doing a spreadsheet. So like you're putting together a spreadsheet in order to learn something and you can learn, there's another way to learn those things. There's a new way to learn those things. So, so it's like, or maybe a keynote presentation or a PowerPoint presentation is a better example. It's hard to create a PowerPoint presentation on a phone. Mm-hmm. But the point of having a PowerPoint presentation is to communicate some ideas in a, in a persuasive visual way. And you can do that on a phone if you let go of the, of the, um, the baggage of thinking, I want to communicate these ideas in a very powerful visual way. Okay. Yeah. Do it. But just you have to let go of the fact that you think you have to do it inside of a PowerPoint. Did you just subtly sneak in an ad for sticky albums? <laughs> I guess I did. Yeah. But that's the idea, though. It's like it's like the, the thing that you do in your job, like if you think you make spreadsheets or reports for a living, that's not really what you do. What you're doing is you're you're packaging information in a way to make it understandable to somebody else. So if you if you let go of the idea, you know, the idea of saying, oh, spreadsheets are too hard to do on my phone. It's like, okay. But Find it, another way. Yeah. Isn't there a way on your phone to communicate that information to the people you need to in a different way using that same tool? So it's like, it's like the activity that you engage in changes, but the output is the same or, and this is the possibility mm-hmm. that I'm excited about, it might be better. There might be things about a PowerPoint or an Excel spreadsheet that limit the way you think about how you create the outcome that you're trying to create. So I'm, I'm kind of, anyway, that's sort of a, uh, I'm editorializing about the possibility of, of coming up with new kinds of output, not trying to make the exact same kind of output that I do on a laptop, but come up with new kinds of output that, you know, sort of persuade people or, or connect with people or educate people in a different, a similar outcome, but in a different manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just due to the constraints of the different form, the constraints and benefits of the different form factor. Right. Right. So like if, if you were on this iPad, you would be super annoyed because it, there's a lot of very specific things that you, you know, you're highly optimized for a particular situation. Right. And I don't really, I'm not as, I'm not as um, specific in that regard. So when it, when I'm doing stuff, I'm like, wow. I mean, the experience of typing on it is very different. If only uh, like the autocomplete and there's like a dedicated button for emojis and it feels so much more multimedia. I'm not just typing. It feels more mm-hmm. like I'm playing an instrument and I, there's like a lot more, it's much more expressive. Like the expressive qualities are higher. It's really, it's super interesting so far. It could be that next week I'm like, you know what? I, uh, that was like afterglow. <laughs> yeah, that was afterglow. This is so annoying. Um, but we'll see. I, I think it'll be, you know, all of the, the predictive nature of a lot of the stuff and the massive amount of, of iOS applications that exist now that didn't the last time yeah. I tried this. Anyway, so super, so some other things from WWDC that, you know, the, basically the, the Mac Pro, they didn't mention it once. Mm-hmm. Mac, MacBook Airs, I don't think they mentioned once. All of their, all of their focus was on AR, VR, machine learning, um, iPads and iMacs and Apple Pay. Oh, baby, did they talk about Apple Pay? So it was pretty clear, it seemed, at least from that, it seemed pretty clear where their head was at. You know, Mac's been, I think it's fair to say, the de facto machine yeah. for a creative. And uh, apparently they had been getting flack about the inability, the, the flat-out inability to create AR and VR experiences on a Mac. You just mm-hmm. couldn't do it. It didn't have the juice. Right. No, you couldn't. So that's, it seems like that's what they're trying to address because they... 
you know, we're probably on the hype cycle. We're probably at the peak of the hype cycle, but it does seem like that will, that will be a big deal, you know, being able to create three dimensional, realistic 360 experiences, whether they're based on the camera as input and using augmented reality or as, as just like a, a complete virtual environment. And they don't want to be out of that loop, I don't think. Oh, they announced a Amazon Echo competitor. Oh, Apple has an Echo competitor now. Yep, HomePod. HomePod. Mm-hmm. Siri, I'm sure. It sure does. Which means it will. And they not opened be, up Siri. Not be as good. Oh. Yeah, which I I don't think was new news, but I think they had, I think that they had just specific partners before, but they're opening up Siri um, somewhat. So to mm-hmm. app developers, you'll be able to create kind of like an, a skill. So it'd be like. You know, hey Siri, get my get me my to ask DCU to get me my checking balance or something. Yeah. Oh, speaking of speaking of opening up Siri, that something kind of interesting we saw the other day. We found uh, Google Home and Nest cams and Nest thermostats and just a whole bunch of Internet of Things type sensors and devices and what have you on sale now at Walmart. Hmm. And it just surprises me that this stuff is becoming so mainstream that you can just you know you could even go to Walmart and get it now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember feeling that. I remember seeing Pebble watches in Target and I was like, mm-hmm. no way. Yeah. That's like a Kickstarter. You right. Know? Yeah. But now I'm I'm still looking forward to the day that I can just walk into the nearest hardware store and pick up a spool of PLA filament. But- <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounds so sci-fi, but, you know, that is on yeah. the way. That's okay. I don't mind ordering from Amazon. The last time I ordered filament from them, they they messed up and doubled my order and, and discharged me for, for what I had actually ordered. So That reminds me of another big news story. Mm. Amazon bought Whole Foods. Oh, yes, yes. That'll be, that'll be yeah. probably something we could talk about on a future episode because it'll be cool to see how it plays out. Yeah, that could probably be an episode in and of itself because it's, it's interesting on a few levels. Yeah. Is, I, I had a twinge of like, Ah, Amazon's yeah. getting a little too big. I don't want them in my neighborhood. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I loved the joke floating around on Twitter, though, that, that yeah. Bezos was really just trying to order something from Whole Foods and Alexa screwed it up. <laughs> yeah, Bezos. Alexa, buy me something from Whole Foods. And then Alexa goes, okay, buying Whole Foods. Oh, oh, geez. The chain has roughly 450 stores in North America. This is the new show. We just ask Alexa questions. Uh, Okay, Alexa, stop. Yeah. So that's huge. It's, it's, you can imagine a whole bunch of things that they might do with Mm -hmm. their Amazon, you know, kind of taking the Amazon Go retail experience and trying to move it into Whole Foods and the business community is all in an uproar. Stock, everybody's stock is, you know, Walmart, Target, Kroger, their stocks are plummeting and it's like, oh, Bezos entered your market. See ya. <laughs> so it, Bezos entered the market. No pun intended. <laughs> so that will be fascinating. We have a we have a Whole Foods blocks from our house, and we've been joking. We just jokingly started calling it Amazon. Oh, I'm going to, <laughs> Go going to down to Amazon. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't have anyone or any. We don't have one within many many miles of us. So. Hmm. Yep. So that'll be fun to follow. There's so many, so many things that you can imagine happening there from automation to self-checkout to, you know, no margin purchase uh, sale, you know, very low margin sales. So the whole paycheck thing goes away to selling Amazon products there, like go in there and buy an Echo or whatever. Like who knows what they're going to do. Their own private label stuff that they sell online, mm-hmm. books. I Who knows what they're going to do? I mean, it's good. It's fascinating. Put a, 
put a line of lockers along one wall so you can go in and pick up stuff. To big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, will it turn into a DC? Is it going to stay a retail space? You know, like, is the model going to change? Like, would they change the floor plan? We went to a supermarket in, in Tokyo one time and the layout was more like a mall shoe department than a, um, like a high end Nordstrom shoe department where there were the, like low tables with things sort of arranged around the top. Not this like aisles with really tall shelves where you feel like you're in a, mm. you know, you're in a maze. Mm-hmm. And every, you know, the, the employees were super dressed up. It was like being in a mall, like a Nordstrom or something. And, uh, I was like, wow, like I could hang out here. You know, it wasn't this sort of, this sort of like errand like transactional experience that you get even in Whole Foods where you're just like up and down the aisles and excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. Right. It's like a literal Apple store. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So, you know, we, I guess we've probably beaten a dead horse at this point, but the Google I.O. is exactly what you'd probably expect. You know, they're just, they are machine learning company. Like they are mm-hmm. just all all about the AI and and making the world a better place through automation. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we just need to keep our fingers crossed that their data sets aren't polluted with, you know, hate speech. Yeah. Wild times. So that was, as promised, that was a waffle cast, if ever there was yes, one. Yes, that was, that, that was very waffly. <laughs> All right. Shall we call it a episode? Uh, yes, let's. That's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for Terrifying Robot Dog. Bye. Bye. Would you like to see Kelly and I in your inbox once a week? Get new episodes delivered straight to you with show notes, links to additional content, and oh, so much more. Plus, you can reply to any message to suggest topics for future episodes. Our AI will get right back to you. To get the inside track, go to terrifyingrobotdog.com and look for the Keep Me In The Loop button. 